Hello, this episode is a little bit different. On the 8th of May, we hosted a live show. We talk about the debate that was hosted by the Maastricht diplomat a couple of days prior. We hope you forgive the audio quality. We had some technical difficulties and have to rely on the live stream that we did for Instagram. In this episode, we just have a long discussion on what the candidates talked about and dig deeper into the answers of the various candidates and the topics that were discussed at the debate. This will probably only be interesting to our listeners who study here at Maastricht. And if you're interested to listen to uh, the breakdown of the debate, even though you're not from Maastricht, you do you. We hope you enjoy. And without further ado, you're listening to the Maastricht Diplomat. Parties, many of those are actually <laughs> fairly recent additions to the scene. I would say um, uh, Moritz from, from USM said this in the debate. Uh, his party was founded in 2019, and I believe Shape was also founded in 2018. Khan uh, has been running the first time, I think, last year. Uh, so this has really been a boom, if, if you will. And still there's, there seems to be little attention then in the, in the general student population. We've seen around 20% voted turnout last year. Yeah, and, um, difference per faculty too. Then, yeah. That's true, that's true. Um, but I think in no faculty there has been much more than, than 30%. I think uh, 34% in, mm-hmm. in FAST was, was kind of the, the peak. So that's where we are. And I, I really hope that the the last year has brought about more more awareness more attention for student politics in the in the whole student yeah. population between the cyber attack at the end of last academic year and uh well the small uh, covid pandemic i don't know if you've heard of it um we we'd expect that maybe students would be more engaged into what's happening at the university realizing that you know it's not as uh, granted as as you maybe once thought but i think let's go straight into the debate thanks peter for for talking about um what what major points you you kind of picked up on on your deep dive into student politics here in maastricht um so the debate started uh at around 8 on the 6th, uh, hosted by our very own uh, uh, Michael, who you can't see in the live stream on Instagram if you're interested, um, but is, uh, is here in the room with us. Uh, could you kind of give us a, a rundown of who was there and um, who wasn't there? Uh, no, not throwing any shade, but uh, who wasn't there and... Um, the three topics we, we discussed to kind of give us an introduction of, of what we'll be talking about today. Awesome. Yeah, thanks, Brendan. Um, yeah, so everybody's following us live on Instagram. I am here, but uh, yeah, you can't see me. Um, so yeah, this, this debate was an interesting project. Um, it's the first year we've done it. It's kind of representative of us wanting to dive it a little bit deeper into the political scene here in Maastricht. And um, at the beginning of the year, the academic year, 
in one of the board meetings, somebody came up with the idea, like, why don't we have a, just have a debate, um, get everybody around the table and see what they think about the political scene and what's sort of what's going on and what happens in the various councils regarding university policy. And I sort of like, yeah, sure, okay. Um, I think it was generally quite successful. A lot of the student parties were very appreciative of it. Um, so I got a hold of the elections board of the university and thankfully UM said that they would support us logistically, financially, get us, get us going. So all that we had to do was worry about content. And one of their stipulations was that I had to invite a representative of every list on the university council. So this meant that this year there were eight lists, uh, five of the big parties, if you can call them big parties in Maastricht, and three independents. So out of the parties we had DOPE, which is the oldest party in Maastricht, Novum, which has also been around for quite a while, I think 18 years. Um, there was Shape, uh, Lex, there was CAN, and USM. Then the three independents, Hayden Bunn, who's a third year now, mm -hmm. uh, Julia Tsori, who's a first year, and Peter von Mill, who's also a first year. Uh, seven of the eight um, lists were able to come. Unfortunately, Shape said that there was too short notice and they couldn't find anybody to represent them, which I was a little disappointed in because if they're going to spend time calling themselves uh, political representatives, then surely they would have time to represent themselves. But yeah, celebrity, that's, that's their choice, I suppose. But everybody else was really um, cooperative, which was really nice. It was nice to see everybody come together, everybody's friendly, obviously a differing in opinions, which I would expect, and also I'd hope for, right? Because that makes for a diverse and energetic political scene. But everybody really came behind this project and came together, which was really cool. Um, but that did leave us with seven people to get through, right? That's a, that's a lot of information, yeah. a lot of topics to cover. Um, so we, did, we, we broke it down into three topics, which were um, the political scene and representation in Maastricht, uh, the UN curriculum, and uh, student mental health and well-being. We figured for the students, these were probably the three most important topics to cover this year. Also, between seven people and three topics, that's that's a lot to get through. Yeah, yeah especially if uh, it's done over Zoom. So it was, it was a hybrid debate where yeah. we were there. We were all in the same building and there in person, but we all had our individual rooms with our laptops, and and uh, I was monitoring the chat and. Uh, you were standing in the studio and had the screen behind you with all the different candidates, which makes it a bit more difficult to have people talking over each other. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Which might be a boon or might be a, you know, a, a, what am I, the curse. Yeah. So, so it could be either way. Um, well, I think, yeah, it was, it was the best we could get this year, obviously, because of COVID, right? Mm -hmm. Like, there's, we can't get everybody together in the same room. Um, this was the best that we can do. It was it was quite weird for me being in a studio, um, having a bunch of cameras and lights pointed at me, not be, like being being able to talk to people, but not really being able to talk to people. Mm -hmm. I had the computer screen with the full zoom behind me, but it wasn't quite the same. I couldn't really hear them. I didn't have an earpiece, so I had to really concentrate on on what they were saying from the very small speaker that we had in the room. But I think overall it worked quite well. 
Um, one thing that really helped make it go smooth is the fact that we spent an entire year online doing everything yeah. via Zoom. Right? Like, if we did this, did this at the beginning of the year, I think it would have been an absolute shit show. Yeah. I think it would have been really weird. People wouldn't know like how to, what's the Zoom protocol? Like This is something we've been talking about all year, is a Zoom protocol. And I think the candidates actually did quite well. There was, they were very respectful. They didn't butt in over each other. If they had a point to say, they would raise their hand, um, at which point I could direct the conversation. So in that sense, it was actually kind of nice for me because I could see, oh, okay, Charles Okroch has raised his hand. Oh, Artemia Hoff has raised her hand and then jump over to them, which was quite nice. The studio itself was actually, I, I think it was quite professional for, for what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, I did have no space to stand though, which was, it was a little difficult. I think it was, it was a little tough for me. So for those people who have watched it on YouTube, if I look like I'm in pain, it's because I was in pain. My back was killing me. I'm normally a very active talker. I like to walk around. I like to use my hands and stuff. And I had less than a square meter to stand in. But I think overall it was quite fun. It was, it was a really cool experience, I think, um, with the facilities that we had at hand, I think. It's, it was certainly a successful debate and yeah. everybody who's watched it so far has said they could follow it and they knew what was going on and it was very well done. So I have to take this opportunity to thank uh, the university and Studio MVP for, for helping us put this on. It was really cool of them. Yeah, especially because it's the first time since I think 2012 was the last time there was a student debate hosted. Um, no. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, there was a an official. Debate in yes. Okay. There was an official debate in 2012. I think it was terrible. Um, yeah. It really was. It kind of devolved into a lot of sarcasm, um, mm-hmm. and not much really came out of it. It didn't really come across as a professional event to me. Um, and then I know either last year or two years ago, there was some sort of debate with not all of the political representatives in Maastricht. And again, that devolved into a fight over whether or not bars should be open past two o'clock in the morning. Which has um, nothing to do with what the student council can do. If yeah, it, no, it's completely out of the jurisdiction of the university and the students. So this was actually quite a, a concern of the university. They said, okay, if you want to put on the debate, please make it you know, fair to everybody, invite everybody, give everybody an equal amount of time to talk on the topics at hand and make them relative, uh, relevant to student life. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned a couple of the parties and, and how old they are uh, and that there were parts of the debate that were confrontational. But it was mainly quite a, an open uh, discussion where everyone had their, their two cents that they could put, put in. Uh, but let's let's break down the individual three parts of the debate a bit more and, and get into the discussion of what uh, what was said by certain uh, parties and representatives from that from their parties. Uh, let's start with the uh, the first one, which was the political culture and representation. And I think this is a good segue because uh, I think on the one part, at least when I was a first and the second year, I even as a politically engaged individual, didn't really know what the council does. And I must say, now, after having looked at it, I, after having looked at it, I kind of know, but I still don't really know. Um, So maybe let's have a quick, um, before we talk about what representation and political culture is in Maastricht, look at how they work. And I don't know if Peter, you could uh, explain 
in a, in a concise fashion what these what these institutions do. Sure, I, I'll, I'll try to be concise. Um, I mean, I think large part of, of the confusion about what the councils uh, do um, comes from the fact that they are mostly advisory bodies and not so much decision-making bodies. So I think what people expect is, yeah, there's this council and they vote on shit and then, um, and then it's being done or not. But this is not how the, how the council works. So the, the students, both students and staff, they will both vote representatives into these councils. That is once a, a university council and then each faculty has its uh, faculty council, which um, the faculty councils are a bit smaller than the university council, but the, the functioning is pretty much the same. And what these councils do is they will engage in discussions with the executive board of the universities, uh, with, the, with the executive boards of the faculties, so the dean and, and, and the, the dean staff. So, and from my experience also, the, the executive board does listen to the council. So the, the executive board would approach the councils with ideas, with proposals, and they would actually ask for input on all of these points. Uh, conversely, also the, the councils can propose, can contact the executive board, make their own suggestions, and um, yeah, from my experience, the, the university is usually quite open to these proposals. But then again, what the council cannot do, they can hardly ever force the university to take a certain course of action. There's a relatively limited number of, of documents, of things that the university council must approve. And if they don't, they won't be passed. So that would be changes to the UM uh, regulations, for example, so the kind of the, the organization of the university. Um, these things the university council can vote on and they can block, but also there, from my experience, the, the political culture in Maastricht is not so confrontational that this would res result in a, in a kind of uncooperative style between the between the council and the executive board I would expect that most often the uh, executive board and the councils resolve this in a uh, in a discussion and so I think this the, the what the councils are really boils down to this advisory function they have the power and the the, the legitimacy to to approach the executive board make suggestions and um, the executive board will usually listen, I expect. Um, which does not mean they will uh, instantly do everything the council proposes, of course. We've also had some quite ambitious proposals on Thursday. Yeah. So I wouldn't Can't expect all of those within the next year, but um, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to hop on something you said there. You don't think that the um, sort of political scene is that uh, there's not that much clashing in Maastricht. I, I would agree that between sort of the councils and the executive board, there's not a lot of clashing. But as 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 you've just said, that like, there's some amb ambitious um, proposals on the way. 
Um, and I think where we're going to start seeing some clashing is between the, the student parties in Maastricht. I think, um, you know, sort of to echo what everybody else has said here, my first, second, and you know, arguably my third year, I had no idea what was going on in student politics in Maastricht. Um, uh, simply because it just wasn't advertised. If you, you can try and look everywhere and there's no one's talking about it, no one's doing anything. But what we've really seen this past year, and I think that um, the COVID situation has really helped to um, change that and invigorate it, was the fact that we are now isolated. We don't have sort of, you know, a face-to-face -face community. There's no, um, you know, there's no getting in touch with each other in the, sort of the traditional sense. And so I've seen this year more sort of more political action, um, more political information and communication from the parties via social media mm -hmm. than I've ever seen before. And what I think that has really helped to do um, is actually help sort of shape party characters in Maastricht because they have to get across a certain message. You know, it's not no longer just, okay, well, we're going to meet in our groups or blah, blah, blah. It's that we actually, okay, we have to communicate to the students in Maastricht who we are, what we do, what we stand for, what policies we're creating. And so now that they've shifted into this online platform um, and, you know, platform of communication, their own party uh, identities have really started to publicly take shape. And I think this has really helped to, to f I'm not going to say solidify a political scene, but really help to to start putting some parameters on the scene on what, you know, who's doing what and who they are, what do they stand for. Yeah. And and it's it's the scene is starting to take shape this year. Um, no puns intended. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, I don't think I don't think endorsement. That's it's an official <laughs> endorsement. I don't think they're taking shape. Um, so I I think yeah, I think it's it's the scene from a from the student side is things are starting to happen um, and we're starting to see some real differences come up between the parties. Um, but I think, yeah, Peter, there's, you, you had a comment about maybe that's a bit of selection bias there because I, I, I follow all of the parties and I'm friends yeah. with a few people in a few parties. So obviously my Instagram algorithm is a little biased, but at the same time, I've known these people for a few years and only this year has my algorithm started to throw them um, my way. So I think there's been a lot of political action online. So I think in that sense, yeah, maybe not between the students and the institution, but between the students themselves, we're going to start seeing some differing of opinions and some butting of heads. I mean, I've, I've also, I think more, more than last year, uh, much more than last year, uh, heard from, from friends who were not as actively following and, and trying to find out about student politics and that they actually uh, saw saw a lot of, of, of uh, I don't want to say ads, but, but information. Sponsored uh, content. Yes. <laughs> Sponsored content uh, in, in their timelines. So I think the parts really have done a, a much better job this year in getting their message out. And I wanted to, to respond on the, on the non-confrontational nature uh, of Maastricht student politics that, that you picked up, Michael. Um, it's, it is true that right now, and I would say in, in this campaign season, uh, if we will, um, we, we do see that the parties really try to, to make clear where they stand and also make clear where they stand as opposed to the other parties. Mm -hmm. 
but I mean, there's there's a certain element of of campaigning in that, which is is good, and I think it's important. It's important uh, for also to 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 further the the student political culture. But going back to the council and after the election, I would expect that that um, and that's also what almost all the parties in the interviews we had, almost all of them said we've been really working well together with the with the other parties, and. I think there's also a certain need in that because the university council is half students, half staff. So if the students want to get anything across, there has to be a certain it, it does not. It's, it's simply not enough that fifty percent of the students support it. It mm -hmm. must actually be quite a substantial amount of representatives. Um, so I think that's something of a peculiar element, maybe, of, of this construction, uh, the, the, the way the councils work. But, um, yeah, I mean, I mean uh, let's see, after Thursday, there was, there was sometimes kind of a weird balance in first the, the, the representatives themselves asking quite critical questions to each other, and then instantly rounding up their statements with, yeah, we'll, we really want to look into this together. Several representatives said this after the statements um, that they're, they're open to, to discussion. Yeah, or they can't even wait to work each other, with each other yeah. on, on certain topics. And I think that came up a lot during the debate, yeah. uh, where one party would say something, uh, for example, I, I don't remember exactly what it was, but Marit uh, uh, Takash from USM, um, he, he was talking about something to do with mental health, and then not only Novum, but also uh, the dope representative both said, yeah, let's, I can't wait to work with you on that. And that was during the debate. So it's, it is a very collaborative uh, uh, council. And um, I don't think that will change even if within the student body, priority shift in different parties are, are going to be bigger and smaller. Um, but there's also one point that uh, Hayden Bunn mentioned during the debate and that was that all the student parties they come out during the election and then they disappear again for the year and then they'll be back again same time like year, uh, same time next year like clockwork. That's just wishful thinking or a bias on our side. Um, certainly I think that um, up, up until this point so Hayden's, Hayden's got a point right? Like, mm -hmm. He really does. Um, as, as I said previously, I've never really seen much of a political culture. Um, and I said I've never known what's going on, but every year I have known about the elections. Because two weeks before the elections, suddenly I see a bunch of, uh, a bunch of posts or something around town, hey, vote for me, vote for me. And then that's it and it's quiet until the next year. So I think, I think to a degree, Hayden has a point. Um, and, and for that reason, I, I, I totally understand why he's running as, as an independent, because it's probably a few years of frustration for him, um, which, which makes total sense, which is also quite nice that he has the opportunity to run as an independent. Um, not just him, but Julia Tsori and um, Peter van Mill as well. They, they both said the same thing, in that um, you know, they, they kind of just see big party lines, but nothing's actually happening. And so they, they have the opportunity to run as independents, which is a cool thing. But I think that this is changing. Um, one of the parties that I'd like to highlight in this fact is actually CAN, the, the Climate Action Network Party, who's part of a larger um, sort of, let's call them a green coalition of uh, interest groups around, in the area. Mm -hmm. So not just political groups, but environmental groups, activist groups, 
they're part of Gedeelde Wilde, which is a local uh, organic co-op. Um, Fosfrima Street. Fosfrima Street. Fosfrima Street is uh, is part is part of them. Um, plastic. Yeah. Uh, well, damned. What's the name? Yeah. Uh, really precious, precious plastics. Precious plastics. Precious yeah. Plastic. Um, yeah. What's interesting, actually, because the founder of Precious Plastics, Ezekiel Stevens, is also a co-founder of the Can Party. Check out our article. And Plastictipmap.org. Um, <laughs> yeah, big shout out to ourselves. Um, yeah. So Zeke is actually he 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 co-founded Pre uh, Precious Plastics and um, the Can. Uh, party, the student, the student party, and ran on the council last year. So there's there's a lot of um, you know sort of cross interests there between inside and outside of the university, and I think Can has done a fair amount this past year um, in pushing obviously their own sustainability goals, right? Because they they are sort of the green party. They they have very very clear stated aims that they want to introduce more sustainable action in the university. So they've they've done a little bit this year. Um, which is quite cool for, for a new party. And I think that um, sort of with Novum's big push to get rid of Proctorio and, and sort of that sort of exam monitoring system, that there are, there is, as, as I said earlier, there's some energy during the year um, that's happening to change things in the university, to have some policy change in the university. And I think it's going to be a case of other parties going, well, okay, they're doing something we need to do something too. Yeah, so, maybe it isn't even a fair characterization. I mean, in the last year, I, I think two points that come to mind immediately were this proctorial debacle where the student council well, did it's been huge, hasn't it? Forward. Yeah. Um, uh, the fact that the council is FTB in particular. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing was, uh, I think Khan led a, um, a signing of a kind of a, a letter of intent from mm -hmm. At least a thousand students and staff and staff. As many many staff members signed it. Uh, yeah. So that to hold UM to a higher standard when it comes to its climate responsibilities. Yeah. So there's uh, they've got the the UM has got the Sustainable Twenty Thirty mm. um, initiative, right? Where they want to be sustainable um, and eco friendly and all of that by the year twenty thirty. But when Can was digging into it a little bit deeper, they found out that actually the sustainability office consists of one person who does nothing. And which means that to reach the sustainability targets of 2030 is essentially impossible. Um, and so the idea from Cannes is that actually the university has this big project and they sell themselves as sustainable, but um, you know, they're still investing um, money in unsustainable projects. They don't actually have a plan of action for the university. And it's, you know, as in, in Cannes' words, it's, it's all a front. And so from their side, they said, okay, well, we want to hold you accountable and reform this whole project. We like the idea, but you're not doing enough. Mm. And so the idea is, okay, well, we will help you. That's our job. We would like to help you. Let's work together. Let's make our university, university sustainable. Yeah. And then another one, I think Novum uh, yeah. also uh, headed a project to, to look into mental health uh, at, the, at the different faculties. That was less publicized too. Um, so, so they do do things during but, the year. Just yeah, also, also, I them. would also point out Novum next to Khan, um, who did uh, throughout the whole year constantly keep up some some uh, social media um, outreach, which not all the parties do. I must say. I mean, you, you can you can go check on on Facebook, uh, for example, the the party pages. Many have their election campaigns, their candidates, 
and then a it year, a year of silence. Yeah. And I mean, Novum in the, in this regard also uh, stands out a bit in that they that they did really try to to make posts that also relate to the students um, in a way, and, and yeah. did discuss quite some some uh, down to earth uh, problems. So in, and in in this regard, I did have a bit of a problem also with with Haydn's statement. I mean, he's not wrong that the that the, the student, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, this is this is also to do with with the general culture of of kind of the the the, the interest economy maybe in in mass for student politics and. I mean, be reminded, Hayden Bunn has been uh, chairman of the Maastricht Student Union uh, for the past year, which I did not see a lot of outreach. And I mean, the the not not to not to, to blame him for anything, but the um, I didn't see per se his advantage as an independent candidate in keeping up interest for what the University Council does. Over the whole um, throughout the whole year, because I think especially um, if you have some kind of, of of support of a group that that can organize their, their outreach and can organize their, their campaigning uh, throughout the year, um, I I wouldn't say that's per se a disadvantage. And I mean, it it may have been a pity that we didn't get to discuss this point uh, in depth. Yeah. Uh, on on Thursday, but I think that that would really have been an interesting point also to discuss with Hayden what his specific advantage on this point would be as an independent candidate. Yeah, uh, I completely understand that. Uh, I think you make a good point. It, it's it would have been nice if we could go into that. Indeed, I I think now just looking at the time, I didn't realize how long we were talking about uh, political culture and representation. I think we should skip ahead into the second part of the debate, which was talking about the curriculum. And here again, we have some interesting um, points raised uh, from, from different parties. One that became a bit contentious uh, was one raised by Khan to integrate uh, sustainability, uh, social justice, and I think it was biodiversity loss into the um, student curriculum at all levels, so on all faculties. And this uh, drew some ire specifically from Novum. Um, uh, I think that's one example. But more or less, uh, the discussion went quite breezily on the curriculum uh, part. Uh, a lot of talk about, you know, we should make sure that we've got everything uh, uh, up to date and, and diverse uh, set of authors and this uh, these points were were raised by more than one party. Yeah, I think um, I mean I'll get to the I'll get to the sustainability part in a second in a in a second, um, and I think that but really I think the, a lot of the parties agreed on a few things. One of one of the ones that uh, Moritz from USM brought to the table was interfaculty degrees. So he would like to see double degrees, right? So business and law, for example, why can you not get a, a double degree in that? Um, which is quite interesting um, because a lot, of, a lot of universities do do this. And so far, and Maastricht, the, the best that is offered is you can do a minor 
at, at yeah. another faculty. But even um, then, there are quite a few barriers to overcome with this. Um, well, first of all, you need to get accepted into that faculty, which I think may be fair enough. Um, and if you take a, an extra year uh, yeah. to complete your, your bachelor, you cannot uh, do a minor at another faculty, which yeah. I found out the hard way. It's that's funny. <laughs> I, I found out exactly, exactly <laughs> the same thing, you know. And it's um, I, I would I wanted to go to to UCM to do a bunch of electives there, and they said, yeah, we'd love to have you, but you're a fourth year, so no. And it was just a hard no. There's no there's no appeals process. There's no opportunity to meet anybody. There's no opportunity to explain something because I myself actually took six months off in my third year for for personal reasons. Um, and if I hadn't have done that, then I would have been able to complete my degree in time. Um, but it's, there wasn't even an opportunity to explain myself. Um, so there's a, there are a lot of barriers, and it seems sort of from an um, administrative point of view that it's just a, a hard no, uh, and there's not a lot of willingness to work with students. And I know that more than one candidate actually expressed interest in trying to break down those barriers between faculties and allow a bit more fluidity in the curriculum for, for students, which I think is actually considering that we have a large number of faculties and actually a lot of um, a lot of excellent knowledge at this university, yeah. uh, it's, it makes sense that we should be able to have a bit more freedom in choosing in choosing where we where we would like to go, um, and it doesn't make sense to me that there are a lot of barriers in place. So that, I thought that was quite some some nice sort of on on the ground initiatives, you know, not high mm -hmm. up in the sky. Um, ideals, but like okay, things that can be advocated yeah. for. Yeah, yeah. So I thought that that was that was really nice, and that you know, interestingly, that came from both parties and um, and the independent head head and bun. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, the I think the sustainability one, right? That was that 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 that, that came to a bit of a, a, a bit of a head button, um, and I think there was actually maybe it came down to actually a bit of a miscommunication between the parties. Um, because I think that Freddie, Freddie bought from Can brought brought the idea of sustainability in the curriculum to the table, but she might not have been so clear in what that actually meant. Um, because I know that when Charles Crowe from Novum said that, well, how can we have sustainability in Dutch tax law? He was just you know very specific on one thing in that sense, you know, and Freddie didn't really have an answer for him. Um, but what I understand is that maybe it was let's bring a sustainability lens to our topics, right? So it might not be a sustainability tax class because, I mean, what, what, what is that even? I mean, you yeah. could have a carbon border tax and you could insert. Yeah. That would quite, quite, quite an idealistic tax law <laughs> yeah. class. I guess, but um, but but why not, right? Why not try and at least look at the curriculum through sustainability lens, right? And I think this is, I, as far as I understand, from from chatting to camp people in private capacity, and you know, reading their manifesto and following them on social media, I think they want people to have just a sustainability lens because we all we all know that the climate is breaking down. Um, you know, the the fact that there is a climate emergency is not is it, well it shouldn't be news to anybody yeah. but I think that you know maybe we could actually start looking at our topics through a sustainability lens and I think that's I think that's what Cam wants to bring to the table um, whereas Novum had drastically drastically different ideas quite quite I mean I think Freddie's example of of the of property law was was mm. a, was quite a good one could you I mean, uh, give that example Oh, I mean, she she just 
what what she said was okay. She doesn't want to change the the courses in in the way they're they're like the names of the courses, but rather, as Michael just said, um, look at the ones that exists and that are mandatory. Property law is mandatory in in, in the law faculty, for example, and land ownership has huge I mean has huge impact. We just see this with 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 gentrification in big cities. And it's it's a huge public debate also about how much can we do with 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 the with the land we own and how much do we affect people's lives mm. and um, that that's more of a social responsibility than an environmental topic but but nevertheless there's also some kind of social sustainability in the way we treat uh, we treat. Mm, uh, land property, for example. So, and just just considering the the social dimension, uh, I think of of the topic we are discussing. Uh, I, I, that's what I understood. What Khan uh, was advocating for, or is is uh, is advocating for. And uh, yeah, well, I mean, then then Novum uh, came with their uh, more specific idea of introducing sustainability as part of the mentorship program yeah that's yeah. correct yeah. if i'm if i'm not wrong and um i learned a little bit later than what the mentorship program is uh, as it does not exist in my faculty at least um so uh, yeah i think this is um this is maybe something a good point for for novum is that um a large part of novum's um sort of core um you know their party members actually come from fossils Right, so and I know, you know, as a as a fossil student myself, it is a wonderful little fossil bubble that we live in. Um, I don't think that's that's news to anybody from fossils. We all have, you know, um, you know, that's we we or, or anybody else in the university, considering the amount of memes about our faculty that are being made. Um, you know, we have a mentorship program that that you know lasts for the entire first year, which basically introduces us to student life. Um, that is the idea. You know, it breaks us into student life, makes life a little easier. There's a few assignments, and just helps you be a little bit more reflective on what it means to be a student at Maastricht University. Yeah. I would agree with um, with with Charles and Novum on the sense this would actually be a lovely place to have a basic sustainability class. Um, in that sense, Charles is correct, but also Novum needs to be aware of the fact that other people don't have this course. So, in which sense, yeah. but it could also just yeah. have been an off the cuff uh, remark and example that. I'm not sure really about through. that. He, because he, well, he, he, his opposition also to Kant's yeah. ideas was uh, was then quite. Because he, well, he he said that he wants to have this in the mental program multiple times. So it seems to be something. Okay. Um, I, I I don't know if you know if there's a little bit of uh, friction between these parties, but um, it was quite a strong stance against sustainability. That's that they seem to be taking all well, the sustainability in the in the curriculum. Um, that that Charles and Novum seem to be taking, um, and so yeah, it's I, it, it was interesting. Um, but then on the other hand, as, as we've said before, there seems to be a lot of collaboration when it actually comes to the university council level. Yeah. You know, an actual functioning of the council. When it comes so, down to it. And yeah, when it actually comes down to it, at the end of the day, I think that they will sort out their miscommunication because I do think it comes down to miscommunication. And as you said, this was a an election campaign 
um, debate, right? So they do have to take a stance. But I think when it comes down to actual policy creation, they will discuss it. You know? yeah. we, we've spoken a lot about Khan and Novum, uh, a little bit about USM, um, but we don't really, we, we didn't really talk about DOPE. Do, do you have any uh, points or, uh, that DOPE raised about the curriculum? I, I know that for some faculties, they want more Dutch tracks for... Mm. I think that is for HML and SPM. And yeah, I mean, DOPE had actually quite specific ideas also on the on the curriculum, um, a bit apart from from the ones uh, about about the content uh, of the curriculum, but rather um, also a lot of talked a lot about uh, the flexibility of the curriculum and flexibility in choosing for students in, in choosing their way through their programs. Um, she, I think she gave quite a, quite a strong example there where she said she took a board year and had to pay the full uh, tuition fee for the, for the whole year without taking any classes. And I, I mean, th this is not a thing that Master University can decide on itself, probably. But that, I found it. I found it quite quite a strong point for Dope that they said, "Yeah, we are also engaged in uh, on a national level. We're with the National Student Union, and uh, we are advocating this in, in the Hague." Uh, so that was, I think, uh, I think quite a quite an interesting proposal. And um, yeah, and then the the, the Dutch track. Um, I'm I'm not so familiar with with FHML, but if I understand correctly, there's there's many Dutch students studying medicine who are kind of misled in a way in in choosing their Dutch study track and then finding themselves in English. Yeah, in English, English certain exams or certain classes no. in English. Well, actually, um, so my, my girlfriend studies medicine, and at a bachelor level. Um, specifically for the medicine students, there is a Dutch track. So she did her whole bachelor's in, in Dutch and all her exams and everything in Dutch. And there is an international track of medicine. And it's literally, it's called ITM medicine, international track medicine, right? Yeah. Um, where, where everything is in English. But however, if you do your bachelor's in English, you still have to do your master's, your clinical rotations in hospitals in Dutch. So you could do an entire bachelor's uh, of medicine in English and learn medical language in English and then you're dumped into a Dutch hospital where there is none. So there's, and, and, and vice versa, so if you, you know, you're doing your master's in medicine, um, when it actually comes to your thesis time, the whole thesis is in English. So you could spend five years doing medicine in Dutch and then suddenly you have to write an entire master's thesis in English, which as it turns out for a number of medical students is the very first thing they ever write in English is a master's thesis. Which is which is not right? Yeah, it's yeah, it's difficult to say the least. Um, but then at the same time, you know, you could be a Dutch psychology student. You study in English, and then you have to practice in Dutch. Um, so there there seems to be a bit of disconnect there in which which language you study in, and then which language you practice in. Which um, on you know it goes both ways, right? I know a few international medical students who have had to take a year or two off just to study Dutch, and then come back and do their masters. So, you know, I think it's wonderful for a lot of international students that they know they can come to, come to the Netherlands and upwards of 65% of bachelor courses in this country are offered in English, which I think is a huge draw. Um, I oh, know, yeah. Yeah. Especially post-Brexit with uh, yeah. all the Erasmus uh, people who 
want to go to somewhere that's a bit more anglophone because yeah. it's easier. Yeah, so I think it's a huge draw from the Netherlands, but obviously, you know, there are drawbacks in that um, there is just going to be a mixing of languages, which is, you know, it's, and a few parties actually advocated for having free language lessons. So I know to go back to USM, um, Moritz was saying, well, why don't we have um, business Dutch, right? So not like business courses in Dutch, but how to learn business oriented Dutch at SBE. Which, you know, if you think about it, if, you, if you're learning how to conduct business and you want to conduct, you know, you want to stay in the Netherlands and you want to conduct business in the Netherlands, it makes sense that you would learn the language of the country. Um, whereas, you know, sim similarly, you know, if you want to get into international diplomacy, French is probably quite a useful language. And so, you know, to have these, have these language courses which are dedicated towards giving you actual skills in the real world, um, it would make sense, you know. It's more of a more of a practice-based, um, you know, uh, or applied applied lessons, you know, apply, applied knowledge um, coming out of the university. Yeah. I think also also probably uh, free or at least cheaper language classes would be quite a would be a thing that of course needs needs funding, but mm -hmm. is not huge complicated to 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 uh, to realize. I mean, there's already free language, uh, free Dutch classes for first years, but then again, that's also restricted to first years. And yeah. once completed, uh, that um, you have to pay, I think, two hundred yeah. euros for, yeah, for it's, two it's, months. It's quite course, expensive. Which, yeah. yeah, for many students, for sure, it's, it's it's really expensive. And I mean, I've had the the experience that I took one of these uh, free courses in my first year and went straight into the pandemic, and the course was not as uh, enjoyable and probably not, not as effective anymore on Zoom as it would have been uh, in person. And n next year, when hopefully we could have classes in person again, I'm not allowed to take free Dutch courses anymore. So, um, yeah, I think, well, I mean, to be fair in the university, right, like nobody really expected this pandemic. Um, so, no, no, yeah, I'm, so, so, I'm not saying the pandemic. I'm just saying this again, there, there seems to be yeah. kind of a, a, an unnecessarily uh, complicated procedure or a kind of an unnecessarily restrictive yeah uh, yeah, yeah no, it's it's um i mean it's from for myself i only learned about dutch language lessons in my second year in which case it's you know if, if it was never advertised to me and i only find out in my second year it's like okay well shit you know it's just like okay i would love to actually have some more formal lessons for the language of the country i'm living in but suddenly i've got a 200 euro barrier thrown at me purely because i didn't know what was going on so i think that there is also you know apart from you know trying to apply a large scale um sustainability lens to the to the curriculum there are also very much um on the ground, realistic measures that want to be tackled by the parties, which is, which is for me, I'm I'm quite optimistic about that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean that, that that kind of covers the curriculum. Uh, I do think that for the independence, uh, the tech guy, uh, Peter Vermeil, did mention stuff about a bit more tech literacy and. Uh, yeah, actually, let's, uh, let's let's talk about a little, little bit more about our, our two two first year independents because we haven't actually touched on that's true. on Julio uh, and Peter at all, and I think that's a little unfair considering that um, they are first years. They they both running as total total independents, as you know, as Julio already says, he is the founder and the president 
of skyscrapers, skyscrapers in Muscat, yeah, which is maybe the most <laughs> ambitious party name I've come across. But I do have to respect them. You know, his first year is not knowing the scene, not knowing what's going on. They arrived at a university during a pandemic, so they naturally, you know, first years in a university, in a new university, in a new country. You know, it's 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 daunting enough as it is. So to take those large steps and register themselves as independents and run for the highest elected representative position in the, in, in the institution, um, you know that that's 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 quite a ballsy move, and I think um, you know they need to they need to receive some credit for that. Yeah, I mean, so so what are their platforms again? Uh, one is skyscrapers in Maastricht, and the other one is insert uh, insert yeah. here. Yeah. Um, yeah, so talking to them, it was obviously I had to do a little chat with them before the debate. I'll start with Julia. So basically, Julia's entire platform is that he would like to see more facilities. So physical facilities for the students. Um, again, you know, as a student, a first year student arriving during a pandemic, I understand that a lack of safe studying spaces is a large concern, right? You know, for, for some of us who've been around for a little while, like we, you know, we have friends we can go to. We have our own places at this point. We've probably moved past its small little student room and we've got a bit more space. Um, but with somebody arriving to a university that is not pandemic proof, it, it probably does highlight the lack of studying space and the lack of facilities. So basically what Julia would like to see is an entire new library, which I think is maybe a bit unrealistic, but he, he has ambitious plans for Maastricht and he would like to see the, the physical facilities of Maastricht to be greatly expanded to, um, to cover what's actually, to be honest, going to be an ever-growing student body in this little town. Um, and th there's certainly enough talk about a housing crisis, about a study space crisis. You know, it's, we are fast growing our, or outgrowing the facilities of this university. So I think in a sense that Julia yeah. might actually have a point. I think it was, was it Lotta who, uh, who said from Dope, uh, like every year there's more students and every year the university gets, or the, the town gets smaller. I'm not sure if it was uh, her, but uh, I thought that was a good line. Yeah, well, I mean, it is true, right? Like it's, I remember when I arrived in my first year in 2017, um, I was shocked to find that some of my classmates were staying in the Stay Okay Hotel, you know, so the, the student, sort of what, I say student hostel, um, a hostel on the it's river. Definitely not a hostel. Um, full of students, but some of them were, they didn't have rooms in, in, um, in Maastricht for three, four months, and they had to stay in this hostel for three oh, to wow. four months, but knowing that there aren't actually oh, any private rooms there, right? There are no private rooms yeah, in the Stay Okay. And so they would be staying in a room with up to seven people for their first three wow. to four months in Maastricht. You know, that's no private space. You don't have your own room to sleep in. You don't have your own study space. You've got to live out of your backpack that you shove underneath your bed if you're lucky enough to be able to shove it underneath your bed if you're on the bottom bunk. You know, so it's, there are more and more students and seemingly less and less rooms available, um, often because landlords in this town take advantage of students and they're like okay well, cool well we're just going to charge both arms and both legs and by the way you have to be dutch and female in order to get into our room in the first place <laughs> so it's you know it's it's everybody kind of knows it i'm not even gonna say it's the unspoken issue in this town because it's it's spoken about yeah. <laughs> it's spoken about yeah so i think that's um i think julio julio and as ambitious as he is 
um, and potentially unrealistic because I don't know if we're actually going to get skyscrapers. In I mean, it's also a municipal issue. It is a municipal uh, issue, but it also, again, it, it highlights an obvious issue, right? Mm -hmm. So if a first-year student can come in and say that this is an issue and I want to stand up and try solve the problem of space for students, I think what it does do is it actually highlights how much of an issue this is in Maastricht. Yeah. And then, and then the other one, uh, Peter Vermeil, I think, think it's also kind of funny how he wasn't here for the, uh, the infamous uh, cyber attack where uh, I think the UN forked up few thousand euro? 250. Yeah, a few more than a few, a few thousand euros yeah. um, to solve the ransomware attack. Uh, so I actually find it amazing that he still came in as a tech candidate, kind of oblivious to that, or I don't know if he was oblivious to it, but that wasn't his, uh, I guess, reasoning for coming in. Uh, what, what else about Peter Vermeil uh, do we know in his platform? Yeah, um, so I mean, as, as he, you know, he, the self-proclaimed tech nerd, yeah. um, he, P Peter basically wanted, wants to update the, the tech capabilities of, of the university, not only the actual you know, platform programming capabilities, but also just the technology, um, oh, what do you call it? Um, how, how we use technology to contact one another, to communicate with one another. Um, and I think, you know, he sees that this is not necessarily, again, the most prepared university for the pandemic, no, no shade at the university for that, but he wants to update the technological capabilities and how we communicate with each other, what platforms we use to communicate with each other, um, especially because we're probably going to be isolated and facing difficulties for for quite some time. Um, I know Europe, Europe is due to get a round of vaccines this year, but of course this is no guarantee that you know, we're in the clear for the coming year. We have no idea. I think that's something um, we've learned. We have absolutely no Yeah, we have no idea what's coming, and I think as, sort of as an independent technology-focused person, um, I think what he would like to do is anything, any changes that are implemented in the university, I think he wants to make sure that the university has the technological capability to back it up. And I think, I mean, he, he really has also got a point in, in, in running for a university council mandate there, because even though, I mean, in, in the debate, he didn't really pinpoint so much a specific um, point of failure, maybe, of the university, uh, except, of course, the, the cyber attack, which uh, but it's kind of uh, settled, I would hope. Um, but nevertheless, if the university uh, executive board in, in uh, proposes changes and, and wants to implement certain, um, certain policies, wants to uh, adapt certain technologies, these kinds of things, that is really stuff that would be discussed in the university council. And I think that's, uh, as, as Peter Vermeil said, the, the tech nerd could in come in uh, could come in handy. I think he said, um, and I mean, I guess that's that's really true. Someone who who doesn't really, who, who first of all understands the the technology um, behind uh, that's going on under the hood and and can evaluate whether it makes sense, whether it's it's kind of a long term solution or just a, a kind of a quick fix.
which uh, wouldn't be, which wouldn't, uh, yeah, wouldn't work for for too long time. Yeah, and I miss. I mean, you know, I just want to reiterate the same thing I said for Julia as well. Is that you know a huge amount of credit to Patron Hall for yeah. signing up for this. You know, he. Um, as, as an independent, as a first year as well, he took one look at the scene of what's going on. I mean, I think his, his party name is quite telling, insert acronym here. You know, it, it shows that he's, he's, not, um, he's not satisfied with what's being done currently. And, you know, as a first year, he took the initiative to stand up and say, listen, I think that this is what is missing. I think that these parties are totally missing the points on technology, that nobody's talking about it, and I think I can make a difference. And as a first year to stand up and say, this is what I believe in, this is what I would like to do, and I'm willing to work with everybody on it, I'm going to run for the highest um, elected representative position in the university for a student. You know, again, that's, you know, that's, that, that's a very brave move, and I think he, he deserves a lot of credit for standing up and doing that. Um, especially when you know tech nerds maybe don't get enough appreciation or recognition, <laughs> yeah. you know, for for him to stand up and say, hey, you know, it's I think this needs to be spoken about. I think it it shows quite a bit, quite a bit of nerve. Um, and for that for that, I, I mean, I really I really enjoyed him. He was very sociable. He clearly is willing to talk to anybody and work with anybody, which um, I think could stand him in good good stead if he is elected. Yeah, indeed. I think I think for both of those, it is again. Good to point out the first years and they're going at it um, themselves without a party, which is difficult, especially if you, we know what it's like to run an organization. Doing all of that stuff alone would be a pain in, you know. But I'm, I, 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 think, <laughs> I, was, I was quite happy that yeah. I think with, with the debate, I felt like we also managed to, to push, especially the, the independent candidates, a bit to to look at points that were not kind of the core of their yes, program. Yeah, because yeah. I mean I mean Julio had um, had the had his his ideas about facilities, uh, Peter for sure about um, about the IT facilities also. But then we also started talking about the curriculum. And I think both of them really made good points. I, I did like Peter van Mill's um, uh, comment there on, on critical thinking in the curriculum, yeah. which is is also which is kind of a, a broad approach, and it's it's not a super specific change uh, he proposed to the curriculum, but I think it is a general attitude towards designing a curriculum, which I also in in my first year I also felt sometimes this this lacking a bit uh, this kind of critical thinking, um, may, maybe that gets a bit better in the in the later years where you can actually engage a bit more meaningfully with, yeah, with the content sort of repeat but what, what I, I remember it quite well my, my first classes where I was given this one book with the one truth and <laughs> amen and <laughs> that was it so TPLF <laughs> so um, yeah I really like this point actually and so I, I was happy that we kind of uh, got to discuss uh, also these topics with the independence yeah, and certainly uh, talking to Julio and and Peter before uh, before the debates and sort of giving them a rundown and like, all right, you know, this is the plan of action. You know, getting all the getting all the candidates on the same on the same page. Um, they were certainly surprised. You know, they were like, oh, okay, well, actually, our you know our platforms don't cover these topics, but I will have something for you. I will have something for you. I will come to the debates with a few points. And again, you know, to 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 reiterate this critical thinking thing. 
um, I think that's an excellent lens to take, right, on, on the curriculum, similar to, you know, Cam's sustainability lens. Like, yeah, it's, I think it synthesizes yeah. really well with the, with the sustainability oh, in the yeah. curriculum, because I, it, it's practically a similar uh, way of thinking. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's a very similar way of thinking, but it's also, you know, it's neither of them provided a specific case, like, all right, specifically this class and this tutorial I would like to change, but it's rather, let's take this perspective on our education. So by, you know, which is, I think, naturally going to be a long-term process, mm -hmm. but by taking a specific perspective on our education and on our curriculum, that's when you can start implementing long-term changes, which I thought for, you know, for first-year candidates bring to the table was actually a, a, a fantastic proposition. So yeah. I think that, you know, it's obviously a lot of the talk and a lot of our talk have been about the large parties, but I don't think we can, we've, we, we should, could, can or should forget um, what the little guys bring to the table. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I think that brings us to the last part of the debate, which was uh, the discussion on mental health. Uh, I would think almost everyone had something to say on this part. I think it was the long. I think it was the longest part of the debate. Uh, if I'm not wrong. It, it, Although we tried to keep everything the same length. Roughly, yeah. So certainly one of the most contentious in part. Yeah, I think yeah. it was, um, you know, because obviously I, I, I had the clock, right, running, running in front of me and uh, trying, trying to keep everybody in check and in time. Um, this was certainly uh, the longest part of the debates, I would agree. Um, yes, I would say it was the most contentious, but also we need to remember at this point... Everybody had warmed up, right? We'd had an hour's yeah. conversation at this yeah. point, you know. Yeah. When, they were when, ready. Yeah, they were ready. They were ready to go. They were getting enthusiastic, you know. I think if we'd extended the, the whole thing by an hour, they could have kept going. When they started, they were a bit stiff. They didn't know what to do. They weren't like, okay, what's, what's the protocol kind of thing? Um, and certainly from my side, this is the first time I've ever done this. So I was, you know, in a similar boat. Um, but by the time an hour had passed, they were like, all right, let's, you know, let's get into this. Um, because... A, a few contentious points were brought up, but I'd like to I'd like to first sort of cover a, a point that everybody seems to seem to agree on. Right? It's it's been a long year. It's been a difficult year. It's all been online. We've had all sorts of unbelievable mental health um, problems thrown at us. You know, due to due to isolation, um, which is obviously it's not a Maastricht specific thing. Right? This is this is so you know supposedly a global thing. Um, I think mental health and wellness could possibly be the buzzword of the year behind uh, pandemic. Um, and so it's, it is an obvious issue, but what it also did is it highlighted clear weaknesses in the UM student mental health sort of planning, right? It's difficult to get a hold of psychologists because they're not a lot of them. The waiting time to see a psychologist is is, is unbelievable. You know, the waiting time to be in a, a group therapy session here is mm -hmm. also very long. Yeah, it's, you know, it's often, you know, it's, um, you know, this might be triggering to some of our listeners, but the, the university is very clear that if you are having some sort of, you know, self-harming thoughts, the, this is the line to get to, and that is a national helpline, and that's, that's very clear to be, you know, communicated to everybody, but not all mental health issues revolve around self-harm, and so when, when you go sort of past that initial emergency stage, but you need to talk to somebody and get some stuff off your chest or out of your head, you know, there's not a lot of opportunity for that. And our usual support circles, you know, our friends, our family, you know, our, our associations, our study circles, the bar, 
you know, the, <laughs> you know, the healthy these, solutions, the, the healthy solutions, <laughs> yeah. exactly. You know, the, these are taken away from us, and and we're not left with a lot of support. And again, you know, I don't think the the university was prepared for a pandemic, but at the same time, these, um, you know, the university is not doing enough. They they basically said, well, you know, if you have an issue, call your GP. They don't even have a list of GPs that you can call. And then also for international students, it's a lot more difficult to just call your GP here in the Netherlands. Yeah, because there's no, you know, there's no step by step like, all right, you want to call your GP, do you have health insurance? No, how do you get health insurance? How do you start it up? You know, these are a lot of, um, a lot of obstacles that face foreign students. And I think almost to a T, every single candidate on Thursday said that, right, well, actually we just need to, you know, make, make more information available, make it more readily available, um, have more people to talk to and provide step-by-step instructions for international students to get into the health system of the Netherlands. Because anybody who's been living in the Netherlands knows, or for some time, knows that this is a highly bureaucratic country. And while there are options available, yeah, like there are a lot of... Yeah, Lima Street is a good yeah, option uh, yeah. to help you, but the, the university it's, doesn't really... No, the university doesn't do much, but also from a bureaucratic standpoint, there are a lot of hoops that you have to jump through before you can get anywhere. I know that one of my friends had an accident in her first year, and she went to the hospital and she had international insurance, but the receptionist at the hospital was like, well, where's your Dutch insurance? Oh, you don't have Dutch insurance? Okay, well, you're gonna have to sit down and wait. And she's like, okay, well, I'm bleeding. You know, <laughs> like, I, 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 can, can, we, can we do this? And there was like, no. You know, they were just, she was just stonewalled, um, which comes as a surprise because a lot of students moving to Maastricht are like, oh, socialist country. I have access to healthcare. Well, so you have access to healthcare if you've paid for it. You know, um, and, and so a lot of students don't realize this. And I think this is, this is something that's to a T every candidate brought up, which, you know, if everybody's talking about it, hopefully there's action and hopefully, hopefully this will change at the university. Yeah. Uh, one of the points were brought up, there was, there was the discussion of the mental health hotline proposed by one party. Novum. Yeah. Novum. Yeah. Uh, which got a bit heated. Uh, with... I think Khan, Khan mm-hmm. coming in with the with a blow. Yeah, yeah, that was a, it was an interesting proposal. So Novum would like to have a hotline available, um, you know, a twenty four seven hotline available to students to talk about mental health issues. And I think that this um, reflects what they have in Tilburg. Um, yeah, also a lot of British universities have yes. these kind of uh, nine lines yeah. you can call mm-hmm. if you if you need it. Which, which I think, you know, on the face of it is actually a great initiative, right? It is, that's a very nice thing to have, um, especially for students who, who don't live a regular nine-to-life lifestyle and, you know, we, um, you know, we, we want access to things um, pretty much all the time, but at the same time, maybe need to be a little bit more realistic of what is actually capable, you know, of, 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 of happening in our city. So to say that yes, Tilburg has it, or that Cambridge has it, I think that there's perhaps a bit of a difference between Maastricht University and Cambridge, probably about 800 years or so, and a fair amount of um, money between us and you know, financial resources available, which was highlighted by Cannes and some of the other parties, right? It's all one and fine wanting to set this up. But the logistics are... The logistics are... The money. It's a nightmare, right? Um, and one actually interesting point that I think Freddie brought to the table is that you know she has she has uh, hands-on experience. She works with a group in Germany where she where she actually runs um, as a as a mental health um, supporter on a, on a hotline, a similar hotline. 
And one, one point that she brought to the table was, well, who supports the supporters? What kind of mental health supports is there for those who provide mental health supports? It's often, you know, if you look at um, medical care, who cares for the carers? Because it's often, you know, you, you shoulder this kind of responsibility. You, shol you shoulder all of, this, all of this pain and, you know, depression or, you know, mental health instability. And you have to be a rock for so many people. But you also need a rock yourself. So it brings us back to the same problem that there isn't enough yeah. resources at, at hand. Yeah. So uh, while I do think that um, Novum has an excellent point, and I, I think that I think you know, it would be a great initiative. It would be a fantastic it be, initiative. It should be sure. followed up on. It, and it should be followed up on, but it's also, it's still, it's indicative of the same problem, right? There's not enough mental health support at this university, but we also all need to be realistic of what 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 is within the, uh, the capabilities. Yeah, also, also another point that then, uh, then um, uh, uh, she brought up uh, was that um, that the the support that is being given must then also, of course, fulfill the quality requirements mm -hmm. for this for this um, for this kind of uh, support because it's a huge responsibility, and um, so so the point was that where where are these people supposed to come from all of mm -hmm. a sudden so i actually i actually like then the, the point that i think it was julio made that why not direct the 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 additional resources that the university could make free for better mental health support at the infrastructure that exists mm -hmm. and making the students uh, or making the information more accessible as it is right now and making the making the structures as they are right now more accessible and then and then look for specific points of improvement mm -hmm. in these rather than creating a uh, quite an overhead maybe yeah. uh, of of uh, of this kind of helpline that would um, probably come quite or would probably come with quite some some difficulties mm -hmm. So I think, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a good point, right? Like, assess what you, what we have at this point in time. Shore up our defenses and sort of plug the holes that we currently have. And then from there, once you solidify the base that, you know, the foundation that exists, from there you can grow into something, you know, large-scale and ambitious, such as a 24-7 uh, mental health help, uh, hotline. And how can the student council kind of bring this to the table, then? Um, well, there I'd actually like to, to lean on what uh, the other independent page from Lil said. He said, well, why don't, um, why don't we actually get out into the student body and get some sort of concrete answers, right, and uh, of what the student body thinks is being done, what do they do, what do they like, and what they don't they like. Um, because it's all well and fine talking about it at, a, at, a, at an executive or administrative level, but by, you know, having essentially a large-scale... Um, assessments of what the students do and don't like, then you can start drawing up like, okay, this is where we stand. Um, this is where we stand. These, this is exactly what everybody said because on one hand, the university might say, okay, well, this is what we have. This is the best that we can do. Um, sorry, your psychologist can only see you in six weeks' time. Yeah. You know, if, if everybody gets together and full, fills out assessment forms and, you know, questionnaires and so on, surveys, then, then you can start drawing a picture of, of the perceived capability of the university and once I think once once that is specifically done then you can 
start start building on it. But certainly from from my side as a student who's been here for four years, I've never really seen anything past are you happy with the mental health services of the university, yes or no. Yeah. Which is which is appalling really. I mean it's you know, that doesn't you can say no, I'm not happy, but then if that's as far as it goes, you're just gonna know that there's a bunch of unhappy students. Right? That's not that's not a functional um, assessment survey. Yeah. I think, yeah, that's, that's uh, for sure a, a great point where the University Council can step in and, and bring the actual experiences of, of students. I mean, first of all, the representatives, but the more the representatives are in touch with the student population, also of the, of the broader um, student body. Um, so the, the, that's where the University Council could really make a difference. And um, and uh, kind of uh, step in and bring this to the attention of the executive board and bring this to the attention with specific proposals, with pointing out specific problems. And um, so, yeah, I think that's that's really what the what the university council um, is capable of. I think it's also, you know, it's similar to, to a few points that we've said, you know, regarding, you know, the curriculum and sustainability lens or critical thinking lens, is that it's any, any large scale initiative like this, where, you know, it's really um, transformative um, of the way the university is doing things is going to be a long term thing, right? And it might be difficult to implement because, as, as Hayden pointed out, the, the cyclical nature of student politics and Maastricht. You know, it's a, a, a true reform of the curriculum is not going to happen in a single year. A true, a true reform of the mental health support services of the university is not going to change within a year. Like, realistically, it's not, it's not going to happen. To have adequately trained um, carers and supporters, they, in, t it takes time for the quality of support to really improve. It doesn't, it doesn't happen overnight. It's not going to happen in a single year. It's certainly not going to happen in an isolated COVID um, constricted year. Um, and so I think that any initiative that is taken, any, any plan that is put into action needs to be, um, it needs to be assessed over a number of years in order for it to happen. So I think that you know, it's difficult to say that you know, this year's batch of students, next year's batch of students, are going to continue having difficulties. This is just, a, I think, a, a, a matter of reality. But if you can plan for, okay, let's have something going like solid and changed within three to four to five years, then you know that, okay, in a few years' time, it's, it's, it's like planting a tree now for the next generation to enjoy, yeah. right? And I think that's a good point to end on, uh, mm -hmm. as I think this is a long process that will take a long time. Um, but and let's we'll still have, be hopeful. We'll have to be here next year again. Excited for the next year to come in student politics. Yeah, I'm certainly, it's, you know, as I said, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking from the perspective of a student who's been here for four years. And I must say, I'm more, in a way, like, even though I feel like a lot of the points may be a bit redundant or political posturing, um, which I would expect, right, it's election campaign. Um, I am more positive for student politics now than I've ever actually been in Maastricht. I think that there's a lot more energy now. I think it's a lot more visible. Um, I'm not going to go as far as to say there's transparency, but I think that there's people or students are certainly a lot more aware of the fact that there is actually a political process in Maastricht. And they are aware that things are happening and that there is 
it, there is actually a distinct possibility that they can have a say in student politics in Maastricht, which for myself, you know, maybe it's it's not going to apply to my student's career um, here in Maastricht, but for for students in four, five, six years' time, I think that what's going on now bodes quite well for them. And I just want to remind all of the students listening to this that student elections are taking place 17th to the 20th of May. So that is in just a few days' time. You have uh, about a week left to educate yourself on the platforms uh, tonight or tonight, today. Today was certainly not an exhaustive um, source of information on what is happening in student politics. Go out there, educate yourself. Um, you know, hop onto social media, hop onto the candidates' websites, hop onto the university website to find out what, what is actually going on um, so that you may make an informed vote, contact your political representatives, ask them what is going on. Uh, that is their job. So, yes, uh, elections 17th to 20th of May. You may go to the Maastricht University Print NL website forward slash elections. Um, to find out everything there, if you also are totally unsure of where to go, please hop onto MaastrichtDiplomat.org. We have a number of articles directing you to, to the voting lists and the voting procedures, both on the University Council as well as faculty councils. All the information is there. Uh, you are students, do your own research and make sure that your, your voice and your vote is heard. Uh, my name is Michael Keith. I am signing out now. Thank you for listening to us. Thank you again for listening. The lead producers on this episode were Peter, Brendan, and Michael. The music in this episode is by Stone Ocean. The Maastricht Diplomat is brought to you by the students of UNU Merit, the United Nations University here in Maastricht. Thanks for listening, and hoi hoi!